Church, forever who is faithful? God. Forever who is strong? Forever who is with us? Forever? Forever. Amen. Amen. God never changes. We just talked about that a few minutes ago when we read some scripture. God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if, if something has changed in our relationship, who has changed? Let's talk about it, church. Let's talk about it. Get your Bibles out. Open up with me. We're going to continue on in the book of Joshua. In the, jo- the book of Joshua, uh, we're in chapter 7 today, and, um, and, I, and I've asked for some of you, well, some of you have been praying for me this week. You know, there are, there are certain passages when you get to them in the Bible that you'd, sometimes you just feel, boy, this is tough. This is tough. But, but God didn't call us to preach the easy parts, did He? He called us to preach the entire gospel. And so turn with me to Joshua 7. And we're going to talk a little bit this morning about sin in the camp, about trouble in the camp. And we're going to bring it forward and we're going to, we're going to make it relate to us today. Let me give you a little bit of background where we've been in case you've missed us the last week or two. Um, chapter one in the book of Joshua, he told, God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. Anybody remember what those two Hebrew words were? What? Ahmed, how about how about Ahmates? There you go, Ahmates. That's courageous. Be strong is Kazak. I had to write them down because I didn't remember them either. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, as you're standing on this side of the Jordan, looking out into the promised land. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, and be strong and courageous, Israelites. And God tells us today, be strong and courageous, church, as you stand on this side of your promised land. Be strong and courageous. Chapter 2, spies were sent into Jericho. And we know the stories. The spies came back and, 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 and their interaction with Rahab and their, their promise to protect her. Chapter 3, there was a consecration of the people. They were set aside once again. Because you have to remember, 40 years earlier, a generation earlier, their parents had been right in the same place. And because of their lack of faith and because of their doubt, they were caused to go wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation was gone. And so some of the oldest people that were there had stood right where they were standing today 40 years earlier. Some of the young kids had remembered standing there and had been turned back by God because of their unwillingness of the parents to be strong and courageous. And so they're standing here and they consecrated themselves to God. They said, God, we are your people. We are going to be strong and we are going to be courageous and we're going to go and take the land that you have promised to give us. And then they crossed the Jordan. And how could you forget that? The priest, as they walked into the water, the water stopped. The river stopped. And they walked across and they held on to the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God in the middle of the river. And then they grabbed 12 stones, one for each tribe in chapter 4. They set them there as a memorial so that anytime anybody would come back and see those stones, any kids would come back, they'd say, what are these stones for? Let me tell you a story about how God brought us across the river in his strength and in his power. And then in chapter 5, we get, we get uh, three things happen in chapter 5. First of all, there was the circumcision of the Israelite men. 
as a signification of the renewal of the covenant of God that they made with God. They underwent that process. 600,000 men at once underwent that process. Ouch. And then they celebrated the Passover for the first time in the, in the promised land. For the first time with the fruit of the promised land. And what an amazing time it would be. And then towards the end of chapter 5, uh, Joshua gets a visitor. A man walks up with a sword. And Joshua is at first scared and he asks him who he is. And he says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I go before you. I am the presence of the Lord's army going before you. He didn't bring 10,000 angels with him. It was the presence. It's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle, and we're going to see about that. And then last week, we preached through Joshua chapter 6, through most of it. I left part of it out intentionally because it came to today. Joshua chapter 6, they marched around the city once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, what happened? They marched seven times. And they gave a mighty shout, and the walls came tumbling down. And we talked about all of that stuff over the last two weeks. Turn with me, if you will, back to Joshua chapter 6, because there's a part of it that I left out. We stopped last week when the people shouted, and the walls came down. But let me finish reading that story, because it ties in so much with today. I'm in, I'm in chapter 6, verse 15. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpets and Joshua said to the people, now listen to this, listen to what Joshua said to the people. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. But, it's one of those big buts in the Bible. But, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in her house will live because she hid the men we sent. Listen to this church, this is so vital today. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it for all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into his treasury. How much more clear could it have been? What did God tell the 40,000 men that were standing there? March seven times, blow a trumpet, shout, go take the city, but don't do what? Come on. Don't take anything out of the city. Everything in there belongs to the Lord. The gold, the silver, and everything else in there belongs to the Lord. Folks, this is the first fruit of the conquest of Canaan. God says, I will give you everything in Canaan as your promised land. All the milk, all the honey, all the cities, everything will fall. The people will bow before you and revere God because of you. You can have everything, the trees of Lebanon, the, the, the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea, the mountains, the river, the Sea of Galilee. It's all yours. Just leave this to me. Did God need the money? Did God need the gold? Was God's treasury getting a little light and that's why he said, give me what's in Jericho? 
Of course not. What God needed was their faithfulness. What God needed was their obedience. That's what God needed, and that's what God wanted, and that's what God needs of us today. Our faithfulness and our obedience to take the land that God has given us. All right, let's move forward. Chapter 7. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, don't send all the people, but send about two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear out all of our people. So about 3,000 men went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside the gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads, O Lord God, Joshua said. Why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, let us never get to the point in our lives when we covet things of this world more than your presence. When we rationalize taking away things that belong to you, our time, our treasures, our talents, our abilities, everything that we are belongs to you. Let us never get to the point where we allow trouble to enter into the camp of God. Let us instead be faithful to follow you in strength and in courage and do what it is you have called us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's, let's just break this down and go through this. It could not have been any clearer. Don't take anything. But. But Achan. Um, there is trouble in the camp in verse 1, right? It's interesting. Uh, how many of you know what your name means? How many of you know what your name means? I know there's a few people in here that know what their name means. Do you want to know what the name Achan means? When his mama named him, when he was born walking around in the wilderness, perhaps he was born standing on this side of the Jordan looking into the promised land. She named him Achan. Guess what Achan means? Trouble. She named her kid Trouble. Trouble in the camp. Yeah, there's trouble in the camp. There's trouble in the camp. But there's even more trouble in the spiritual camp of God's people on that day. Now, now, before we go too far, let's remember where Achan came from. 
Achan had spent almost his entire life walking around in the wilderness. Achan had spent almost his entire life wanting food and getting manna and quail. Every day they had to go out and pick manna. They couldn't go to the grocery store and pick manna for the week. They had to go out every day. So every night they went to bed not knowing if there was going to be this stuff in the morning. And when they woke up, there it was. And if they kept too much of it, it spoiled. So I'm guaranteeing you after a few times, they didn't keep too much of it. They began to trust in God and be courageous. And, 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 and Achan had lived for 40 years doing this. Achan had been there. He had seen it all. And yet he still held on to something. In verse 1, who does it say had been unfaithful? Who does it say had been unfaithful? This is important. The who? The Israelites. All two million of them. When God looked down... He saw that all of them were unfaithful because he told all of them not to take anything. And so the sin of trouble, the sin of Achan, was spread out over the entire camp. He chose to violate the covenant agreement with God. He chose to violate the agreement that he had. The Old Testament agreement. I will be your God and you will be my people. You will go and possess the land. You will go and glorify me. You will be my people, my representative to the nations and to the world. And Achan chose to violate that covenant. He chose to do that. The battles to overtake the land of Canaan were not about material wealth. God didn't need the wealth of Canaan. God didn't call His people out of Egypt to go overtake Canaan. It was not about materialism. It was a spiritual battle that they were undertaking. The Israelites were to be used by God as a judgment against a wicked society. Their battle would be spiritual and not, it would be a spiritual battle waged in the physical realm. Does it sound familiar? When we, when we flip forward to the New Testament and we read in the book of Ephesians, the writing of Paul to the church of Ephesus, he, he said, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. But our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And he told the same thing to the Israelites. Your battle is not about walls in Jericho or about kingly cities of Ai. Your battle is about a spiritual battle. I am setting you apart to be an example to the nations. And yet, trouble came into the camp. So they had just defeated the most heavily fortified city in all of Canaan, Jericho. And they did it at the word of God. They did it with a blare of a trumpet. They did it with a shout. God gave them the victory. They just walked in and did what it is that, they, what the, that he called them to do. The spies were then sent out to scout out the town of Ai. Ai is about eight miles away from Jericho. I was a very small city. It was a royal city of Canaan. The best I can read, it was kind of like, like a vacation city. 
the, the royal people of, of, of Canaan would come to Ai. And so at times, it would be very busy and very crowded, but at other times, it would be less so. And, 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 and reading the scriptures tells me that this was probably a time when there weren't that many people there. If you could imagine Panama City Beach in, in, in January... There's not many people there working. There's not much going on. It's just, you know, you can get a room pretty easy. That's kind of what was going on in I. The spies were sent out. They told Joshua, listen, 2,000 people, maybe 3,000 tops. You can leave the other 37,000 at home. You just send 3,000 out. 2,000 maybe. Two, 3,000, we'll have this thing done. We'll, we'll be done with it. We, we know that we can handle this. I don't know if it was their faith in God. I don't know if it was their self-confidence. I don't know if it was the fact that they were unaware of what was going on in the camp. Either way, it didn't matter. God wasn't with them. God didn't go to I with them. They could have sent 100,000 men to overtake the city of Ai. It wouldn't have mattered because God was not with them. Had God been with them, one man could have overtaken the city. One person could have made a difference in the community had God been with them. But God was not with them because of the things that they had done. They had brought. All of them had brought it upon themselves, according to verse 1. Joshua sent the largest number of fighters that were recommended, but it didn't matter. How many people were killed at I? 36 men got killed. 36 men got killed. Uh, it, it, Flip back or think back to Joshua to Jericho, the strongest city around. How many people died at Jericho? How many Israelites died at Jericho? None. Why? Because God was with them. God was their strength. God was their fortitude. And yet when God took Himself away from them, when, when they removed themselves from the presence of a holy and a mighty God, 36 people died running out of the city of Ai. They chased them through the garbage dumps. They chased them down the hills into the valleys. They chased them like none, like never before. They were defeated. It was shown not only to the people at Ai, not only to the people camped with Israel, it was shown to the whole nation. Hey, these guys overtook Jericho, but they can be defeated. They can be defeated. They have a weak spot. The defeat showed that what mattered was not the strength of the opponent, but what mattered was the help of God. Without God's assistance, they would be lost. It didn't matter how many people they, they sent. Without the assistance of God, they would be lost. And then, and then at the end of verse 5, it says this, As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. The people's hearts melted and became like water. Joshua tore his clothes. Hang on a minute, let me go back. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. Listen, this is, on, this is on the other side of the Jordan before they cross over. Joshua 3, 9 and 10. God says this. Then Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, and Cellulites. <laughs> you will know that he is with you 
as you defeat all of these people, as you conquer all of these enemies, as enemies fall one after another, as cities fall one after another, you will know that God is with you. But on the very second city, the smallest city around, they were defeated handily and they were even embarrassed. Why? Because God wasn't with them and their hearts melted and they became as water. The people had a good reason to be afraid, for you see, if God didn't fight for them, they had nothing to expect but defeat. Without the presence of God, they had become the toothless tiger, the laughingstock of the land. And so Joshua, upon hearing that the men who ran back, the 2,964... 2,964 that came running back out of breath, dropped their weapons, dropped their shields, dropped everything they had, and just took off running like a bunch of cowards. He found out that they had been defeated. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening, as did the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. He tore his clothes. He fell face down. He put dust on his head. That signified mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. That signified a feeling of great sorrow and of great sadness. And I don't think it was a feeling in Joshua's heart of great sorrow and great sadness because 36 had been killed. I don't think it was a feeling of great sorrow and great sadness in Joshua's heart because they had turned and ran. I think it was a feeling of great sorrow and great sadness because he knew immediately that the presence of God was not with them anymore. He knew immediately. You ever been to that position in life where you get so self-confident, you get so, so out of touch with God that immediately you begin to feel, hey, God's not in this. God's not in this job. God's not in this marriage. God's not in this relationship. God's not in my finances. God's not in my health. When you immediately sense, hey, God's not in this. And then you have to ask yourself, what happened? Why is God not in this anymore? Who moved? God move or did I move? Joshua immediately began to mourn and to weep and, and, and to pour ashes all over his head. And he then began to question God. He questioned God about Canaan. He said, well, I'm doubting the future that we have here. I doubt the future that we have. If you can't deliver I to us, then how can you deliver the rest of Canaan to us? Oh God, why didn't we just stay on the other side of the wilderness? Joshua is starting to sound like the Israelites 40 years before. Oh God, why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Oh God, why didn't we just stay back there where we were servants? Oh God, why didn't we just stay on the other side of the Jordan? Because let me tell you something, church. When you stay on the other side of the Jordan, you don't experience the blessings of God. You experience the comfort and the security of yourself. As for me, I'll take the blessings of God. I want to walk where God walked. I want to get out of the boat, walk on the waves to Jesus. And if I lose sight of it, I want to reach out and feel his hand and grab a hold of him and have him pull me back up and put me back in my place. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts when God does that to us. And then Joshua, at the end of this little section, said this. When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about us, they're going to surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. And hey, God, if you're up there listening, then what will you do about your name? What will you do about your name? God, we have been defeated by an enemy we had no business losing to. 
I realize that it's because your presence was moved, removed from us. Now, not only should we have stayed over there, now we're going to get defeated. We're the laughing stock. And what are you going to do, God, about your name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Why are you on the ground? Then the Lord said to Joshua, the anointed one, Stand up. Get up off the ground. Put on your cloak. Get rid of the ashes off of your face. Why are you on the ground? Why are you asking me what, what about you? Why are you asking me about my name? Think about it, Joshua. I was with you in the hard times. This was a piece of cake. What happened? Israel has sinned. The people of God have sinned. Trouble has come into the camp. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen. They have deceived. They have put the things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs. They will run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. Joshua was worried about himself. Joshua was worried about Israel. Joshua was worried about what people are going to think about God. God's worried about the spiritual condition of his children. You can't take the land if you can't take care of yourself. If you can't recognize sin in your own heart. If you can't recognize trouble in the camp. If you can't trust me and persevere with me, you can't take the promised land. That's not just for Joshua and the Israelites, church. That's for us today. That's for us today. The reason for defeat, God spells out. God had not failed Israel. Israel had failed God. Joshua, you want to know why you messed up? You want to know why you got defeated? You want to know why you had to go explain to 36 women and children that their daddy wasn't coming back, that their husband was no longer with them, that they were now going to be widows for the rest of their life? You want to understand it? I didn't fail you. It's you, Joshua. It's the Israelites, Joshua. You want to know why you're being withheld blessings? Because you sinned. Because you violated the covenant. Because you took what was set apart. Because you have stolen and hid hidden and deceived. This is why you're not able to stand against your enemies and why we are not able to stand against our enemy. I am no longer be with you unless you remove what is set apart. Let's go back to Achan for a minute, folks. Let's go back to Achan in our minds. Can you imagine how he felt that night? God told Joshua, get up off the ground, stand up, wipe, the, wipe your face off, put your cloak back on. Here's what we're going to do, Joshua. According to the covenant, according to the covenant that you made with me, that the people made with me, according to the covenant that was set apart, according to the covenant that, that every man in the, the, the tr Israel agreed to physically, we're going to find out who did this. Tomorrow morning, we're going to find out who did this. We're going to find out how. And according to the Old Testament covenant, God would reveal how in a way that only God could. It was called throwing lots or casting lots. And God would pull all of the 12 tribes. And out of the tribes, He would go to the clans. And out of the clans, He would go to the families. And out of the families, He would find which person had deceived. 
in the morning, this is what's going to happen, Joshua. We're going to find out who it is. Can you imagine how Achan slept that night? Can you imagine? Because you know word would have gotten back. Word would have spread throughout the camp. Hey, what happened? You all were up there with Joshua. The leaders were up there with Joshua. What did God say? Well, God said that somebody has lied and somebody has deceived and somebody has stolen. Somebody has prioritized things in their life greater than my presence. Someone has robbed from me. And in the morning, we're going to find out who it is. Hmm. Talk about a sleepless night there in Hebron. Talk about a sleepless night. But you see, church, what God just did there was He gave Achan the opportunity to repent. He was still going to be judged for his sin. He was still going to be held accountable for what he did, but He gave him hours to repent. He gave him out of his love and out of his mercy, he gave him a few hours to repent. You see, had Achan come and told his clan, his family, his clan, his tribe, Joshua, had he told them what had happened, he probably still would have been judged. But he had the opportunity to repent, and yet he chose not to. So in the morning... You must present yourselves. Imagine, imagine how Achan felt that night. Imagine, if you will, go into the mind of this man. He had heard the stories of the plagues in Egypt. He had seen the provision in the wilderness, the manna from heaven, the quail out of, out of pattern, the, the water from the rock. He had seen all of that. He had been there when the Jordan was stopped. He had participated in the setting up of the memorial stones. He had been part of the covenant renewal. He himself had stood up as a man of God and said, yes, I want to be part of this agreement, this covenant. I will therefore allow God to do what he needs to do as a physical sign on my body to show that I'm a man of God. He had taken part in that Passover. He was one of the 40,000 marching around Jericho. He was there when the walls came down. He had been given an opportunity to repent of his sin. In the morning, you must present yourselves. Under the old covenant, he was chosen. The lot fell on his, his, his tribe, and the lot fell on his clan, and the lot fell on his family, and the lot fell on him. And, and if you read in Joshua 7, 16 on, it tells you what happened. He, was, he and all that was his was taken outside of the camp and was destroyed. God removed every part of Achan and his family from the camp. What, what does this mean for me today? This is, this is an Old Testament story, Darren. This is, the, this is the scary story from the Old Testament about God's judgment. Um, what, what, does this, what does this mean to me today? I'm so glad. I can hear somebody thinking in their head right now. I can hear somebody thinking in their heart. I am so glad that we don't live under that Old Testament covenant, right? I'm so glad we don't live under that Old Testament covenant. I am so glad that I serve a God full of grace and mercy and love. I'm so glad that the God that I serve isn't the same God that requires that sin be taken out of the camp before people can enter into God's blessing. I'm so glad that we serve today a God who will not judge us or who will not hold us accountable for our sin. Amen? Don't you dare say amen, church. God is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. God doesn't change. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if you want to flip forward several thousand years to the New Testament, if you want to flip forward in your mind, and if you've got a pencil, if you want to write this down, I'm not going to read this, flip forward to Acts chapter 5. Think about it. Yeah, I see some people smiling. Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? They withheld a portion of the blessings of God and presented it to, they stole from God. And what happened to them? (laughs) They died. God judged them. Oh, I'm so glad I don't serve that. Oh, oh. Oh, if you, if you flip forward a little bit more, actually, yeah, forward a little bit more to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and he talks about a situation of immorality that's being held up in the church. It's a situation where a young man and his, his father's wife are living in sin in the church. And what does God say do? God says, take him outside of the camp. Take him outside of the presence and withhold blessings from him. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts a lot. In a few minutes... In a few minutes, we are going to come together as a family, as the body of Christ. And we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate the broken body. We're going to celebrate the shed blood. You see, the the, the bread that's in those trays and the blood or the juice that's in those cups represents the new covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant of my blood. The new covenant. We're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives instructions about the Lord's Supper. He gives instructions about the Lord's Supper. Before we approach this table, before we approach a renewal of our covenant with a holy God who loved us enough to die for us but will not tolerate to leave us where we are. I want you to reflect very carefully on the words of Paul. As a matter of fact, I want you to reflect so carefully on the words of Paul that we're going to read them together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If they were properly evaluating, if we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world.
This is why many of us are ill. This is why many of us are sick. This is why many of us have fallen asleep in our relationship with God because we don't reflect. Normally at this time, I would ask the praise team to come forward and to lead us in a song. And then I would ask them to sit down and then I would bring the deacons forward and we would serve this. Church, I want to do things a little bit differently today. Just a little bit differently. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause for a minute and it's going to seem like a long minute. And I want you to reflect in light of what we have read today and what we have studied today and what we have looked at today about trouble in the camp. I want you to reflect on the goodness and the glory of God before we come to this table. Let's spend just a moment together. Our Father, You who are the same yesterday, today, and forever, You who are the God who brought Joshua and the Israelites to the edge of the promised land where You renewed the covenant with them, before they overtook the land, before they took back that which was promised years before, You haven't changed. Father, I pray for Your body of believers I pray for my brothers and my sisters who are here today. I pray and lift up those who are listening online. I simply ask, as we renew our covenant with You, that we would examine ourselves, that we would be Your people, willing to take back what You have given us. I pray for our relationships I pray for husbands and wives. I pray for fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. I pray for our work relationships. I pray for the relationships that we have established, that we are establishing, and that we will establish with people of our community, with the people whose houses we're going to walk by, with the people who we do business with, with the people who look up to us as your chosen people. I pray, Lord, for strength and I pray for courage as we fight a spiritual battle within our hearts, within our families, within our body of believers, within our community that You have given us and called us to. Father, today as we approach this cup and as we approach this bread, let us approach it truly as Your people. In Christ's name we pray.